and I'll be reading um, the first 10 verses of the ninth chapter of Luke. Listen again to God's words. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will abide forever. You may be seated. We're in something of a, a summary and a transition passage in this section that we're looking at this morning. Um, <clears throat> one advantage of that is you don't have to brace yourself for as long a sermon as we had last week. This is going to be a little shorter. But we're also going to be taking stock, looking back at what's happened up to this point, very briefly, and look at what's changing. Because, and I don't think I've spoken of this very often, but this chapter 9, verse 51 is this major division, this major fulcrum on which the two halves, not halves exactly, but the two main parts of Luke are, are divided. Um, where the Galilean ministry ends and Jesus' march to Jerusalem and everything that's going to be accomplished there begins. And so in this minor transition, we're actually working to the end of the beginning and we're going to see how things are building. Now, the 12 mentioned here in verse 1. We've seen the 12, or at least parts of the 12, spoken of in two pretty major events coming up to this point. If you'll recall, we had the, the call of Peter and his brothers and his associates from the boats when Jesus had gone out into the water to preach the sermon and the miraculous catch of fish and had told Peter and those with him, you will catch men. We read of them there leaving everything and following them. We also read later um, around the, the Sermon on the Plain, where out of all of the many disciples who had been following Jesus, Jesus chose out these twelve. Now, up to this point, though, they have been pretty much um, fulfilling how they were described in that calling out, to be with him. Mostly, this is what they've done. They've just been with Jesus. Now, I say just, but consider what they've witnessed during that time. Just consider the last couple of stories we looked at. Consider Jesus telling the weather what to do and then obeying. They themselves being the only ones witnessing 
what happens here. Consider what they witnessed Jesus do when they reached the other side with the legion of demons. Consider even more recently what all of them saw Jesus do in healing the woman with the flow of blood, but then a smaller select group of those disciples seeing him again raise someone from the dead who was clearly dead. So they've been seeing things like this in this period in which they've been with him. Quieting storms, commanding legions of evil spirits, healing untreatable diseases. And some of them have been brought in to see things that even the other twelve were not. Reversal of death itself. But here we have a new development for them. They're not just with him any longer. It says, he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Well, this summary, this power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, what is this? It's the power that he himself has been exercising through the course of this gospel. What Jesus is now doing at this new stage with the twelve is giving them the ability to do that same amazing things that he's been doing all along. Now, notice what this means about Christ's authority, about Jesus' authority, how intrinsic it was to who he was as a person. And that not only is he able to do those things, but he's actually able to give that authority to other people so that they can do the same things. He gives it to them freely. Um, Something in the other Gospels he makes a point of emphasizing. You didn't earn this. I gave it to you freely. And he gives it to them for a particular purpose. And as it turns out, it's the same purpose for which he had been using it. And so in summarizing their mission, we're also summarizing Jesus' mission. And he sent them out, verse 2, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And now we see these things able to be done on a greater scale in 13 places at once, actually six, seven, because we read from the other gospels that it was two by two that they were going out. But in any case, he's multiplying his ability to reach his people by sending his apostles out to do the same things he has been doing and to teach the same things that he has been teaching. Now, here's where we'll take a little bit of stock. What what are these things? What's the significance of them? Are they just neat tricks? Is it a healthcare scheme? What's happening here? So we focused on last week, we see that all of these works, all of these works have been signs of even greater spiritual works, works of forgiveness, works of liberation, works of cleansing that he is bringing to the spirit of mankind. And now, not only the physical healings, but also this spiritual liberation, the spiritual release, the spiritual cleansing, all of these things also are now available through what the apostles are doing because they have the power not just to work the miracles, but also to authoritatively proclaim the same word that Jesus had come to proclaim. But this first phase of their ministry is going to have some unusual features. Verse 3, he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Summarize, as many of the commentators do, travel light, he tells them, with fairly close to no preparation at all. The clothes on your back, go. 
What was this about? Well, look at what he adds in verse 4 also. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. Now, by the way, this, this second part, entering a house, staying there until they leave that village, this answers how it would be possible for them to live without preparation. That is, God would provide for them through the hospitality of their fellow Israelites, their countrymen, their brothers, to whom they're going out to announce this news. And if you know anything about Middle Eastern culture, this is something that would have been expected of people when strangers come into a village. Someone would give them lodging. Um, And this second injunction that Jesus gives seems to mean that they're to stay at that one house until they live that, leave that entire village. Now, why like this? Why these um, restrictions on how they're to travel and how they're to stay? Well, there have been um, a number of folks through the ages who have looked at this passage and considered that, well, Jesus must here be calling everyone who believes in him in every age to become a lifelong ascetic of some sort. We're really to renounce everything that we have. Um, It's important to note, first of all, that um, this was a command to the apostles. And it's also even more noteworthy to point out that it was only given to them at this time. Later on, in the same gospel, Jesus is going to give them exactly the opposite instructions. I told you before, he said, don't take these things. Now I'm telling you, take them. So however we're to read this, we're not to take it as a, okay, to be really godly, to really be a disciple of Jesus, we have to get rid of all of our wardrobe except what we're wearing and, and go out and be a, a begging monk. This is not what, what Jesus is saying. On the other hand, there are some important things that we can see in this command that Jesus is giving them. And, and consider this in, in a couple of ways. First of all, for the sake of the apostles themselves, what is it that they're learning? How is it that they're being prepared for the ministry that Jesus is going to have for them by going out in this fashion? Well, first of all, we see that it is conforming them to the image and the pattern of the ministry of their own master, who lived in a very similar fashion, as we see. Another advantage it has for them as they're preparing is that it's teaching them to live in dependence upon God. It's building their faith. It's building their trust in God as they rely entirely on His provision. But also, for the sake of the hearers, as these men are going out, um, some commentators have noted that the, the bags... Um, there were a class of teachers who would go out and the purpose for their bag was not only to hold their own stuff, but for you to fill it as they went out. They did not have these bags. Going into a house, you might start your ministry small and then as it grows a little bit in popularity, you might say, well, that house over there is a little bit nicer and the bathroom's a little closer and moving over to that house until... Each villager sort of one-ups the other until you're sort of living in splendor. So all of these things the apostles are doing are to, um, to eliminate this appearance of their being out there for their own benefit and for their own gain. And also, there's a sense of urgency. When you see someone come in and they have no preparation whatsoever, and they say, I have something important to tell you, and I didn't even bring anything with me, then you say, okay, there's something serious going on here. And so for the sake of their hearers as well, to show the urgency of this mission. Now, the fact that this mission is to be regarded as a serious, urgent, life and death matter is also emphasized by his instructions that he gives in the face of their rejection. Now, 
on the whole, he's saying, you're going to be favorably received. God will provide for your needs. But there are going to be some people, there are going to be some villages who will not listen, who will not receive your message, who will not receive you, he says. And verse 5, And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. What was this? Well, this was a, a symbolic way of communicating that the place that you were leaving had nothing to do with you, no association with you whatsoever. You were making a separation. Why is that serious in this case? Because the apostles are bringing the good news of the kingdom. The apostles are bringing the mighty redemptive works of the kingdom with them. The apostles are bringing the promises of all of the spiritual blessings of redemption with them. And for them to leave your village with the symbolic testimony that you have nothing to do with them was to communicate you had nothing to do with what God was doing, what God was bringing, what Christ was accomplishing. This is a very, very serious mission upon which they've been sent. Those who believe and accept the message, all of these good things are promised and offered. But those who do not, they're cut off. They don't have any part in the good things of the kingdom. Something else that we see tightening in the gospel then at this point. The apostles' mission is pushing folks to a point of decision. It's not just sort of something that's going on out there that you can sort of observe or not observe in Jesus' ministry and say, well, isn't that interesting? Now they're going everywhere and they are saying, will you accept this or will you not? And here are the consequences. The apostles' mission is finally calling Israel as a whole to take sides with respect to this important question. For those who did not receive the apostles, there wasn't going to be any participation in the kingdom of God. Their place, the apostles' place now then, in this whole program of redemption is something else that is growing. The reader of Luke's gospel is now saying, who are these guys and what importance do they play in what Jesus is doing? And so having received these instructions, off they go to further this new development in Jesus' ministry. Verse 6 says, And as they departed and went through the villages preaching and they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They obey God's command through Christ. They carry out this mission. We're also reminded here, if you look at the two parallels, what he tells them to do and what Luke reports them doing, that proclaiming the kingdom of God and proclaiming the gospel are synonyms. All the good things of the kingdom of God. And as they go out, they begin to attract some attention and possibly not entirely favorable attention. Because we see in verse 7, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. Remember back, we've seen Herod. Um, Herod was one who opposed John. Herod was one who did many evil things. Herod was one who was reproved by John for what he was doing and responded to that message, responded to that proclamation, responded to that word by locking up John in prison. And more, more that we haven't read yet in Luke, but we're about to see more that he had done. The question, though, first of all, is about what happenings is he now hearing? It's possible that 
were to view this as everything that we've been reading in the gospel and Jesus' ministry from the beginning to now. But if you look, and this is the reason I included verse 10 as the end of this passage we're considering, you can see that Herod's response is sandwiched by the apostles going out and the apostles coming back. I think Luke is wanting us to see that there's some connection between these two things. Herod is in part responding with a bit more focused attention because now the apostles, again, multiplying what Jesus has done throughout many places in Israel. This apostolic expansion. His attention then has been grabbed by their, their ministry, consequently to Christ's ministry and everything that seemed to be involved with that. And he heard, and Luke tells us, he was perplexed. Where is this going? What is this about? Are these accounts of all of these supernatural things true? And if they are true, what does it mean? And on this question, to add to his complexity, or perplexity rather, he had the number of opinions that were out there bouncing around in the public. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Now it's interesting, students of the Gospels have searched pretty thoroughly for some um, contemporary explanation of this idea in the people's minds of the dead returning with enhanced powers. And really, we've not yet been able to find anything. But it does seem to be part of the view of the common people that this sort of thing was possible. A prophet who was dead could come back, and if he came back, he would have special powers. And that would explain maybe what's going on here. Now notice too, if you look carefully at the verse, that Elijah is spoken of in a little bit different fashion. It's one of the prophets rising, or it's John the Baptist rising, but Elijah just appearing. Which explains why I read the first scripture reading, why we had the first scripture reading this morning. Because what happens at the end of that is Elijah doesn't die. He's taken into heaven. Something else I'll point about that briefly is that that story we read about Elijah and Elisha is a story of the one passing on the power and the authority and the ability to do the same things to the other before he's taken away. We do know, as we look at contemporary accounts, that this expectation of a reappearance of Elijah was something that was deeply rooted in the the common expectation. Um, that he had not died and therefore he would return. And when he did, and this, this expectation was fueled by the prophets themselves who said that Elijah would return, that that would mark the special time of God's redemptive kingdom. And so what we see though, and what Herod is listening to and trying to sift through is this, this varied opinion from the people. This divided opinion about who Jesus is. Now we see a general tendency to have a positive spin, to put Jesus in somewhat of the prophetic tradition, and really to truly be a representative of the work that God was doing. But really, not going even remotely far enough, as we'll see. So Herod is one example of the people as a whole asking the same question, which has come up many times, and is going to come up with even greater intensity. Who is? is this guy. Herod says, verse 9, John, I beheaded. And here is this question asked again. Who is it about whom I hear such things? Now this question has been repeated through the gospel. It's being posed in a more direct, intense fashion here. Um, Some of these options would have been less pleasant to Herod than others. 
This is where we learn for the first time, Luke does not give us the account, that John is not still in prison, that Herod has beheaded him. And we can imagine how that might influence his thinking as he's weighing through these different options. Who then is this? This is the question that Luke is trying to force into our attention. He's putting it in the mouths of all sorts of people. He will put it in Jesus' own mouth very shortly as he asks his apostles, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? This is the question Luke is answering. This is the question Luke is trying to get his readers to ask as they follow the development of the story. And this is the question now that Herod is asking, the question to which he's pondering these different answers. And he sought to see him, it says. Only later will we find out that the purpose for which he wanted to see him was he wanted to watch him do a trick. This isn't any sort of serious, introspective, spiritual searching that Herod is doing. He's like, what's going on here? Hey, maybe I can watch him do something neat at the end. But he will receive no sign. He will see no trick at the end. And he won't be able to see him now. Now, verse 10, just to wrap up this apostolic initial mission. On the return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Or something even more amazing is going to happen. But that's for Tyler to tell you about next week. So what now for us? Let me remind you, as we said last week, let me remind you that all of the good things proclaimed by Jesus, all of the good things signified and demonstrated and manifested and externalized by the mighty works of power and healing that he did, all of these things they are still available. They are still presented to you today. All the blessings of salvation, your forgiveness of sins, your liberation from captivity to sin and to death, the cleansing of spiritual healing, and the gift of eternal life. To you, today, these things are available and presented And let me remind you that all of these good things of the kingdom are available through Christ, through Jesus of Nazareth, through this man about whom we've been reading. He has the power and he has the authority to give them to you all. Luke has emphasized, he will continue to emphasize, these things are available through faith and a particular faith. That is a faith that understands and believes who Jesus is. That is why this question is so frequently repeated in Luke. Who is this? Because our ability to enjoy these blessings, our ability to receive these gifts, is dependent on the answer that we give to this question. Who is this man? Who is this one who does these things? We can't be saved by a Jesus that isn't anything more than a product of our own imagination. We have to know 
who he truly is. And that is why Luke is taking such pains to show this to you again and again. And he's taking us through gently. And he's having this picture expand and grow, not just in front of the audience, but in front of us as we're reading these things. This is what we have to know. Who is Jesus? And so much is writing on this question. It's not a question we can take lightly. It's not a question we can just sort of push to the side and say, well, there's some interesting opinions out there on that. And I hope eventually they all get worked out. It's not the way that we can treat this question. This isn't a question even in which we can invest merely academic interest or idle curiosity. No, this is a question, the answer for which we must earnestly seek if we would not be cut off from all of the good things that God is offering in his kingdom. Now, just as Herod found in his day plenty of answers to this question swirling around in our own day, he was just a Jewish teacher. Um, He was the next to last prophet. Um, He was an entirely invented myth, a man who never even really lived. Lots of opinions out there. But if so much depends, if our eternal happiness and life depends on the correct answer to this question, how can we possibly sift through all of these conflicting answers to this question, who is this man? And this is where the twelve come in. These were the ones that Jesus called to catch men. These were the ones that he chose to be with him, to witness the mighty things that he was doing, and to hear the life-giving things that he was teaching. These were the ones to whom he gave his own power and his own authority to go out and to heal and to preach. These are the ones who would give up their own comforts, their own riches, their own liberty, and by the end, all but one of them, their own lives to fulfill this mission. Because these are the ones to whom he is making clear the full import of his true identity. I say making clear because they don't get it all yet. We'll see that. We'll see that shortly. And even when they can finally put a title on it, Christ, the very next thing Jesus is going to say is going to completely throw them off again. And that is that Christ must suffer and die and on the third day be raised and the significance of all that. They don't get it yet, but the rest of the story tells us how they Get it. And when they do, Christ will once again commission them to proclaim the answer to this question, not just in the villages of Israel, but all the way to the ends of the earth. This is why, again, we mustn't be confused by what we sometimes hear and what I often complain about, but I'll repeat it again. The folks that say, Jesus, I dig. The apostles, eh, Not so sure. Well, sure, Paul said this, but what did Jesus do? These are not two things. Jesus gave these men this authority to proclaim to you who Jesus is and what he wants you to do. We cannot reject them. We cannot reject their teaching without rejecting Christ himself. It is Jesus who gave these men his power, his authority, and his spirit so that we can trust 
what it is they tell us about Christ so that we can rest fully and depend on it and not have to wonder, were they right? They were. Because Christ ensured that they would be. And this is why it's to them that we look. It's why it's to them that we listen. And it's even why we give such close and careful attention to this gospel we've been reading which Luke says is a compilation of what he received from whom? From those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. This is their deliverance. It's their deliverance for you. And that's why we must give such careful attention to what Luke has written. If we would know, and if we would more deeply and firmly grasp of all of us, which all of us need to do, even those of us who are in Christ, there is still so much more we need to learn and press into and understand about who he is. And God's given us his word so that we can do that as we pursue the most important question that can ever possibly be asked. Who then is this? Let us pray.